Hello and welcome to the Road Coach Podcast. I am your host Rob and this is the show where I share with you what I have learned about health and wellness through the last few years of living on the road through research and experimentation so that if you are like me and travel an awful lot then hopefully you can uh, gain some of the knowledge that I've learned to help yourself perform optimally even when you are out of your element. So today I wanted to do an episode on artificial sweeteners. Uh, I was shopping for uh, some snacks and sort of lunch options for me, um, partly to do with the fact that uh, I still can't chew my regular diet after my jaw surgery, uh, but also because I am uh, in a city with a hospital where the cafeteria food is not great for the week. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm keeping up with my optimal macros and getting enough protein and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so as I was shopping for this, I was looking for a couple of really good options um, for snacks that are kind of going to hit all the micronutrients, but also get enough protein without over consuming calories, etc. And, and protein bars, um, you know, are sometimes when you can find them on sale, they're a good option for you to, to pack a ton of protein in there with not a lot of calories. Um, and not a lot of sugar. And so I started thinking about artificial sweeteners and how nowadays a lot of the low sugar or no sugar options out there for prepackaged snacks, uh, especially when it comes to sort of the health food market, there's all kinds of different artif artificial sweeteners in them um, to keep the calorie content low. And as part of that, I realized that there's certain sweeteners that I lean towards uh, and certain ones that I shy away from and I didn't necessarily know all of the reasons behind why I was doing what I was doing. So I took a bit of a dive into all the different sweeteners that are out there on the market and I wanted to highlight a couple of them for you in this episode. So the first one I wanted to tackle was uh, fructose or high fructose corn syrup uh, which is uh, it's received a lot of flack in the uh, in the media um, saying that it causes a lot of metabolic diseases and uh, possibly, you know, liver, um, liver dysfunction, etc. Uh, and so that's where I wanted to start because it is a, it's a cheap, um, sweet alternative um, that I think there's a little bit of misinformation about out in the marketplace. So this is uh, a review of the health effects of fructose and fructose containing caloric sweeteners. Um, and where do we stand 10 years after the initial whistleblowing? So this was published in 2015 in Pathogenesis of Type 2 Diabetes and Insulin Resistance. Um, and the, although it's still, I mean, this is almost, this is an eight-year-old study or an eight-year-old review at this point, but um, it was back in the early 2000s when fructose really got its bad names, uh, bad name. So what is fructose really? And, um, and what does it do to us and how bad is it really? Well, interestingly enough, um, free fructose and sucrose are naturally present in fruits, vegetables, and honey have most likely been part of the human diet since the beginning of mankind. Um, and the level of fructose consumption remained very low until the 19th century uh, when sugar became widely available at a low cost due to colonial trade. Um, and obviously sugar now is in a lot of sweetened beverages, coffee, tea, chocolate, and then obviously we have all of our sodas and juices now with added sugar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so 
The debate about sugar was relaunched in 2014. Here it says, when Bray, Niels, and Popkin suspected a causal relationship between the increased consumption of high fructose corn syrup and the rise in, in the obesity prevalence in the USA. And they proposed that fructose was specifically responsible for adverse health effects due to its specific metabolism. And so what it says here is that it was initially... Um, in part linked to the incorrect assumption that high fructose corn syrup contained more fructose than sucrose. And the actual fructose content of high fructose corn syrup is somewhere between 42 and 55% of the total sugars. And so it's basically the same as the amount of sucrose in the actual substance itself. Um, and of course, out of this, they said that it's toxic um, and it's a determinant of non-communicable diseases, you know, which are things like metabolic diseases, diabetes, obesity, etc. Um, and so, on this um, topic here, I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. So, um, here it says that in animal studies, mainly performed in rodents, um, high fructose or sucrose in the diet can lead to the development of obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, dyslipidemia, and occasionally high blood pressure. So, interestingly, um, here, a lot of what came out of it um, was the fact that when you have a higher sugar diet, you tend to gain more weight um, because sugar obviously is highly palatable. Our brains are evolved to want sugar. Uh, and so we eat a lot of it. And when we put a lot of sugar in things to make things sweet, we tend to eat more of them. And higher sugar content foods usually have an inverse relationship with higher protein foods. And protein is the highest linked macro to satiety or that feeling of fullness. And so when we're eating high sugar foods, we don't feel as full, we metabolize them quickly, and we want to eat more of them. So it also shows here that a small number of human studies uh, showed that a high fructose diet was occasionally associated with dyslipidemia or um, uh, and also intake in body weight, or sorry, uh, the there was an association of fructose and high fructose corn syrup and body weight or the prevalence of metabolic diseases such as diabetes. Um, so all of these things in the past were definitely, um, they were definitely shocking to the public. And I think that fructose got a really bad name because of it. Um, but since then, you can, you can see here, they say far too many original articles and reviews have been published since that time. And so they go through them here. The biggest thing here is that I want to talk about the epidemiological studies. So their um, analysis of prospective data available from large cohorts of subjects with multiple dietary evaluations over time and several years of follow-up on body weight or incidence of metabolic diseases. And what they state here is that when you look at them uh, as a meta-analysis, when you put them all together, they show that a strong association between your fructose and corn syrup intake and body weight, um, or sorry, that there's a strong correlation between the two. So the more you consume, the higher your body weight is. And when we talk about sugar-sweetened beverages, the association between the consumption of sugar in solid foods and obesity is relatively understudied. So they in, the, the results all indicate that sugar-sweetened beverages are strongly associated with higher total energy intakes, meaning you're eating more calories or drinking more calories, um, and that either a sugar-sweetened beverage, total fructose, or total fructose content is uh, strongly associated with body weight gain over time. Um, they indicate that other dietary components, mainly fried potatoes, red meat, and processed meat are also involved. And 
It's also associated with, like we said, dyslipidemia, insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes, risk factors for cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular mortality, chronic kidney diseases, and hyperuricemia and gout. Um, and the strength of these associations is generally reduced when data are adjusted for body weight, suggesting that they are at least parts secondary to increased body fat mass. So what they're saying here is that with fructose, although yes, it's not good for you because it is sugar and it has a high calorie content, a high energy content. Um, what they're saying is that although it's not great for you, the real health, negative health effects from it are based on increased body, the correlation of increased body weight. So people get fatter when they eat a lot of fructose and the same goes for sucrose. So other than that, there's no real, um, there's no real negative health effects to fructose um, that many people sort of exacerbate in the media or, you know, in the, you know, in the general nutrition culture, let's say. Um, and so fructose at the end of the day, although you don't want to, you don't want to eat a lot of sugar, it's not any worse for you necessarily to have fructose or high fructose corn syrup than it is to have just regular sucrose or, or table sugar or anything like that. Um, so that's fructose. And then I wanted to talk about sucralose because sucralose is something that I also had a lot of misinformation for. And I thought um, before learning a little bit more about it, that sucralose was just like any other sugar alcohol, but it's not a sugar alcohol at all. It's, um, it's, it's actually modified sugar, essentially. So it's a non, I've highlighted some things here for you. Uh, sucralose is a non-caloric high intensity sweetener that it's approved globally for use in foods and beverages. And recent studies on the safety of sucralose focused on carcinogenic potential and the effect of sucralose on the gut microflora. I'm just gonna scroll down here. Sucralose has a sweetness potency of about 600 times that of sucrose. Thus the addition of very small amounts can be used to sweeten foods and beverages. But unlike sucrose, sucralose is not digested or metabolized for energy. Therefore, no calories are obtained from sucralose. And sucralose does not affect blood glucose at all. So an interesting, um, interesting fact here um, that I had heard recently, and they actually mentioned it in this study further down, is that it's a chlorocarbon. Sucralose is a chlorocarbon, essentially what like DDT was. So a, a chlorinated hydrocarbon. And although it has chlorine atoms in it, it is not the same thing as a chlorocarbon. And they explain why in this study. So um, just as a bit of background, all the regulatory agencies require complete chemical characterization, um, studies that demonstrate its intended functionality and its stability in food, the method of manufacture, the detection method, including data that validate the analytical method development and comprehensive toxicology research. Toxicology testing requirements include evaluation of genetic effects, pharmacokinetics, metabolism, toxicology studies in rodents and non-rodent species, including lifetime exposure to ensure no evidence of adverse effects on growth and development, organ function, structure, blood chemistry, and or potential to cause cancer. Clinical studies are often conducted to compare the pharmacokinetics, the absorption, the distribution, metabolism, and excretion determined in experimental animals to data from humans. So, um, the, the acceptable daily intake or ADI from these studies are always based on the no observed adverse effect level, which is the highest dose that was fed to animals in long-term studies with no toxicological effects at all. The NOAEL is then divided by a safety factor to ensure the resulting, um, acceptable daily intake is safe for all potential consumers, including subgroups such as children. 
Um, this goes into a bit of background on how sucralose was synthesized. But structurally, it's a substituted disaccharide, similar to sucrose with three chlorine atoms replacing three hydroxyl groups. Um, and although sucralose contains chlorine and can be described as a chlorinated carbohydrate, it is not in the class of substances called chlorinated hydrocarbons. Sucralose has a very different chemical and physiochemical properties from those of chlorinated hydrocarbons, sorry, uh, as shown in the table below, which I'll show you guys as well. Um, as always, if you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, I highly recommend you check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at the road coach podcast, so that you can see these articles in real time um, as I'm going through them with you. The next point they make about this is that sucralose has no carbon-carbon double bonds. So the suggestion that sucralose is an organochlorine or chlorocarbon or a substance in the class of chlorinated hydrocarbons, which notably includes the common known substance DDD, DDT, is not appropriate. So sucralose is not a chemical like DDT. It's not a poison and is not metabolized by your body. And they take you through in this table the differences between the two. So something like a chlorinated hydrocarbon or a chlorocarbon, if you're organochlorines, if you've uh, heard any of these terms in the past is lipophilic meaning or lipophilic meaning um, it's absorbed in your fat sucralose is hydrophilic meaning it's attracted to water which means it's easily uh, excreted from the body um, the uh, chlorinated hydrocarbons are mostly most of them are efficiently absorbed and sucralose is poorly absorbed um, it's the hydrocarbons are stored in adipose fat and they have a prolonged retention time, whereas sucralose is not accumulated in fat at all, so it's readily eliminated. Um, the hydrocarbons are dechlorinated, oxidized, and then conjugated, whereas with sucralose, it's not dechlorinated um, and has minor conjugations or none at all. Um, the chlorinated hydrocarbons are neurotoxic and sucralose has no neurotoxicity. And then, of course, these chlorinated hydrocarbons, like DDT, uh, build up in our system and accumulate over time, but there's no accumulation of sucralose in your body. So if you've heard that sucralose is a dangerous substance and it's similar to ingesting DDT um, from anyone else or from the media, it's not true. It's not the same thing. It's a completely different thing and it's not metabolized by our body. Okay. So that was something that I did not know. Um, and I had heard some of the mainstream things about how dangerous sucrose or sucralose was. And as it turns out, reading the data shows it's actually not at all. Um, and when you look at these, the um, ADME studies, so um, this is, uh, this shows how it's actually metabolized. And I'm not going to go through each one of these, but essentially pretty much all of the sucralose that you consume uh, is recovered in your urine and feces within a couple of days after five days. So we got 97%, 99%, 97% to 101%, um, all within days. So sucralose, and if you look at the, the next column, the metabolites, it's literally all uh, unchanged sucralose. So essentially we taste it, it goes through our system, we pee and poop it out, and it's exactly what it was when it went in. So. Um, this is just another one um, with some more animals. So it shows you all the different animals that they did. They did some human studies as well, exactly the same concept, and they did massive doses as well. So in summary, the fate of sucralose has been shown to be similar in all species evaluated with very low levels of absorption and its primary route of excretion being unchanged sucralose in the feces. There's no retention or buildup of sucralose in the body. So if you're like me and you're avoiding sucralose for that reason, no need to do it anymore. Sucralose is actually a pretty good sweetener substitute with zero calorie um, 
uh, zero energy or calorie um, effects with it to your diet. And then there was a couple other things that I want to put in here. Neurotoxicity. There was no evidence of neurotoxicity in mice. No histological changes. Um, there was mild behavior changes in high-dose sucralose um, HP group. Um, and then the clinical and histological evidence of neurotoxicity in 6CG is positive control, in 6CG positive control mice. So neither sucralose nor its hydrolysis products represent a neurotoxic risk. And that's study after study in monkeys, in mice, etc. Um, and then when we talk about um, assessing sucralose on limited specific endpoints, it has no effect on liver enzyme levels, all values within historical controls, no effect on mineral utilization, um, but it uh, impairs palatability and affects growth due to reduced food consumption. So if there's too much sucralose, it makes food taste less good and the subjects don't eat as much food. So they, they lose weight over time, um, which makes sense at a zero calorie alternative to, uh, to sugar. So that is sucralose. Um, next up, stevia. Stevia has gained a lot of popularity and stevia is a great, great sweetener. Um, we know it's been used for generations. So this article uh, is a review article as well. Um, and it goes through a lot of the studies that have been done. So it's been used for generations, uh, for hundreds of years as a medicinal plant in Paraguay and Brazil. There's more than 150 species of stevia, um, but only the one, Astrobodiana bertoni, is the only one that has a sweet nature because of its high content of steviol glycosides in its leaves. Um, pure stevia leaf extract can contain one steviol glycoside or several different ones. It can reach 250 to 300 times sweeter than sucrose. Um, the leaves also contain several important phytochemical constituents such as alkaloids, flavonoids, chlorophyll, xanthophyll, oligosaccharides, amino acids, essential oils, lipids, proteins, free sugars, trace elements, and hydroxycinamic <laughs> acids. Um, besides having sweetening properties, several studies have shown that stevia has anti-diabetic, anti-hypertensive, anti-perlipidemic, anti-obesity, anti-cancer, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, antiviral properties, and it improves liver and kidney function. The stevia really is one of those miracle supplements um, that is, can also be used as, as a sweetener. Um, so uh, when we're talking about anti-hyperlipidemic activity, studies have shown that stevia side can significantly reduce total cholesterol, triglycerides, LDL levels, and increase your HDL. The reduction in total cholesterol is explained by the mechanism of increasing bile acid excretion by preventing reabsorption of the small intestine through the disruption of missile formation. Uh, also, it can decrease weight gain by reducing glucose levels, fat absorption, and lipogenic enzymes, increasing insulin sensitivity and fat excretion. Um, it's also been shown to have anti-cancer and sensitizing effects on breast cancer, also in colon cancer, believe it or not. Other studies have shown that steviol has inhibitory activity in six human digestive cancer cells, which is incredible. Um, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, the compounds contained in stevia extracts such as steviol glycosides, flavonoids, quinic acid, caffeic acid, and their derivatives are biologically active molecules and capable to suppress the expression of inflammatory proteins and cytokines through the removal of ROS and RNS with antioxidant capacity. Um, rats given stevia showed a significant protective effect against kidney failure, and stevia can even prevent liver cirrhosis in rats, which is pretty incredible. Um, several studies have reported antiviral activity of polysaccharides from stevia in herpes simplex virus. So you got a cold sore, eat more stevia. Um, so stevia, I think, is, 
you know, for me at the top of the list of artificial sweeteners um, for both efficacy, you know, low calorie, harm less, but actually benefiting you in a lot of different ways as well. Um, and then moving on to sugar alcohols. So when we talk about sugar alcohols, they're low digestible carbohydrates. They're obtained by substituting an aldehyde group with a hydroxyl. And uh, as most of the sugar alcohols are produced from their corresponding all those sugars, they are called alditols. Now, there's a bunch of them. So you, some, you may have heard of some of these, erythritol, isomol, maltitol, uh, mannitol, sorbitol, xylitol, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what these sugar alcohols are, are zero calorie, essentially, um, sweeteners that are, um, that, that will sweeten your food, but don't give you any energy essentially. And they all have different sort of glycemic indexes. So, um, if you look at the glycemic index here, the lowest glycemic index is urethra is erythritol and mannitol. And the, basically those don't do anything to your insulin response. You can eat them as much as you want and make your food as sweet as you want with them, but they don't change your blood sugar level at all. And they don't release any insulin. They don't have any insulin effect on your body. So those are kind of the top of the line if you're gonna go to sugar out to, to sugar alcohols. Um, and if you look further down the line, fructose here, um, that's in, that's in uh, we've, sorry, that we talked about at the beginning, um, it's actually a pretty low glycemic index as well, but of course it's got calories. So, um, and then of course you see glucose on the right at 100% glycemic index because it's pure sugar. So of course it's gonna raise your insulin response. Um, so if you're gonna go for an artificial sugar alcohol sweetener, um, erythritol or mannitol are probably your best bets. Incidentally, xylitol also has some really unique benefits and I started chewing xylitol gum um, recently for these reasons. Um, and if you look at them here, xylitol is a sugar. This is another article on the health benefits of xylitol. It's a mini review. Um, from Applied Microbiology and Biotechnology, published in 2020. Xylitol is a sugar alcohol that is commonly used as a sweetener. It can be found naturally or artificially prepared, mainly from plant materials, um, chemically or by fermentation, um, using yeast or bacteria strains. It has a significant anti-plaque effect on teeth surface, and it can reduce the gingival inflammation. It is being used as a preventive agent for dental caries due to decreasing the growth levels of streptococcus at very early stages. Xylitol, this is really interesting to me, xylitol can bind with calcium ions, leading to consequent remineralization of tooth enamel, and it's also able to prevent osteoporosis. Xylitol is another one of those substances that kind of has a bunch of unique benefits while also being zero calorie and sweetening our food. Um, it can treat respiratory tract and middle ear diseases due to its antibacterial, anti-inflammatory potential and prevent some diseases which cannot be cured through antibiotics or surgery. It can reduce constipation, diabetes, obesity, and other body syndromes or illnesses. It also has revealed its stimulating effect on digestion and the immune system. However, in large quantity, quantities, it can give you IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea, um, and nephrolithiasis, which I don't know what nephrolithiasis is, but it has something to do with the kidneys. So let's look it up quickly. Uh, oh, kidney stones, crystal, con crystal, crystal concretions formed typically in the kidney. So um, you don't want to obviously eat excessively, especially if, you sub if you're uh, at risk of kidney stones, because that could exacerbate the problem. But xylitol is a great, great sweetener for a lot of other reasons in obviously um, lower moderate quantities. Um, and then last but not least, I wanted to talk about aspartame. So I went from Fructose on the one end being probably not something you should consume at all. Um, 
and then went through sucralose, which is actually quite harmless, but no real benefits, um, through stevia, which has a ton of benefits, the sugar alcohols, which also have a ton of benefits, mainly xylitol, especially for your teeth and your bones. Uh, and then we'll go, we're going to go back to the other end of the spectrum, which is aspartame. And aspartame is another artificial sweetener that I would 100% avoid. So sugar alcohols on the low end of the glycemic index, erythritol, mannitol, and then xylitol are great. Sucralose seems to be fine. And um, stevia obviously is great. Um, fructose, no. Aspartame, I would say absolutely not. And this is in a lot of diet pops, diet sodas. So a product of aspartame metabolism, phenylalanine, plays an important role in neurotransmitter regulation. Aspartic acid has an important role as an excitatory neurotransmitter in the central nervous system, along with glutamate. Glutamate, aspar asparagine, and glutamine are formed from their precursor aspartic acid. Methanol, converted in the body to formate, which can either be excreted or can give rise to formaldehyde. And diketopiperazine, a carcinogen, cancer-causing, and a number of other highly toxic derivatives. Mitochondria damage is damaged by aspartame. It promotes cell apoptosis, meaning death, cell death, leading to the production of GABA. After that cell wall disruption occurs and cells become more permeable, this phenomenon creates damage of cellular endothelium of the capillaries. It gives rise to oxidative stress, resulting in neurodegeneration. Direct and indirect neurological side effects related to consumption of aspartame also adversely affect the compromised learning and emotional functioning. Aspartame metabolism alters the concentrations of norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine. Lack of sleep, seizures, depression, and headaches are all possible side effects of alteration in regional brain concentrations of catecholamines. Of catecholamines. So essentially, aspartame, although it's still approved for use at low doses, has a lot of neurotoxic effects, um, and I would definitely shy away from it. So all in all, um, after doing this episode, I am going to uh, not shy away from sucralose nearly as much, but obviously choose xylitol, erythritol, and stevia wherever I can for my low sugar sweeteners. Uh, and I hope this has been help helpful for you. As always, check me out on Instagram at rjcrate. Um, like and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love to hear your comments on YouTube, and I do respond to them all. So until next time, if you're like me and you travel, and live on the road. I hope you're not only thriving, or not only surviving, but thriving even when you're out of your element. Cheers.